0: welcome back to the barbell bikini and biz podcast you join me for yet another solo podcast i promise i will up my guest game guys i'm doing my best with them but schedules just don't seem to be working out but i will get some more guests on and if you do have anyone you do want to hear please let me know and i will try and get them on or if you want to hear a guest that i've had on before and see if we can get them back on the podcast to discuss something different but today it is a and a style podcast. So what I did about a week ago now is I put a little question box on Instagram and asked what you wanted to hear on the podcast, what topics, what guests, etc. And I got about six or seven really good questions that I thought maybe I could do a full podcast on, but let's turn this into a and a instead. So that's what we're going to do because I don't think any of these topics would Maybe fill a full podcast, or if it did, it'd be quite boring and quite sciency. So I'm just going to touch on all of these little mini topics in not as much detail, and just sort of give you a brief introduction. And if there are things that you do want to hear about in more detail, if you want me to explain, you can always drop me a DM. Or if you do, I'll try and get it as a full podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's podcast Q and A style. So the first question I got was about deloads: when to deload and why to deload. So, why to deload? Um, Basically, physical and mental rest. Well, what is a deload, first of all? Let's sort of talk about what a deload is. Um, Basically, deload is taking a period of time off or with reduced volume and intensity with your training, with sort of resistance training, strength training. Um, I don't know about deloads in the context of endurance or anything like that, but this is specifically sort of resistance style training, bodybuilding, maybe powerlifting to a degree as well. That's my knowledge on deloads. If you are asking about deloads in a different context, unfortunately, this will not answer your question. But for any of you who do strength training, resistance training, this will answer any sort of questions you have about deloads. So basically, when you train, it is stress on your musculoskeletal system, um, on your central nervous system. It is a stress. And realistically, you can't just keep adding stress and stress and stress to your body. You need time to offload that stress. Because your body will just get to a point when it's like, no, I've had enough because well It does, we as humans, you think about actual stress in your life, you get to a breaking point, don't you? when you're like, I've had enough, and your body does the same. And in terms of sort of when it does that, this is a very individual basis. There's no you might google it and say you need to deload X every X amount of weeks, but realistically, everyone's different and it's very individual dependent, depending on how hard you train, how well you recover, how often you train. There's lots of variables that come into play, but. As an average I would say realistically maybe every sort of 12 to 16 weeks it might be something to assess or if you do actually then get ill or something that's a perfect opportunity to, to, to implement a deload but there's no real answer as to when to deload in terms of X amount of weeks if you if you know what I mean. But I best, guess the best way to look at it is to look at to look up for the symptoms. So when you get to this sort of 12 to 16 mark, if you haven't already taken a deload, start to look for these red flags. So lacking motivation to train. Are you thinking, I don't really want to train? I can't really be bothered. Um, feeling a bit meh going into sessions. That's always a sign of a deload. Struggling to progress your lifts. So when it comes to your logbook, are you struggling to um, you know beat the logbook, add reps, things like that? Digestive issues is always a, a, quite a good um, indicator. You're struggling to recover, um, you're aching after sessions, feeling tired going into sessions, um, you're quite sore, your joints feeling quite sore, um, and sleep disruption. They're all some of the key red flags to look for. So if you get into around this 12 to mark and these things are coming into play, it's probably a sign that you need a deload. And if these symptoms are coming into play, you know, maybe... before that 12 to 16 we mark yeah you may well need a deload because like i said it's individual dependent there is no set amount of time that you should take a deload um within if that makes sense so how to do it how do you deload there's three ways you can do it um realistically um the first one is just taking total time off And that's going to literally reduce all levels of stress because you are literally taking the stress off your body because you are not putting it under any when it comes to the physical exercise. When you're ill, obviously, this is the sort of deload that you would take. And if you are absolutely battered and really struggling from a physical stance, and a mental stance, this is probably sometimes the best option to take is just to totally strip it back and say, you know what, take some time off, whether that's half a week, a full week, a week and a half. Just take some time off and let yourself mentally and physically just reset. The second way is to reduce the intensity of exercises. Um, so you're not training to failure. You'll still go in and do your sessions, but you're not training to failure. You know, you're bringing it down, leaving reps in reserve, and perhaps taking out some of the big compounds which, have, which batter your central nervous system. So things like squats, squat variations, deadlifts, heavy rows. So it's more sort of isolation, machine-based, and not training to failure. And the third way is to reduce volume. So bringing down your sets bringing down your weights, so you're just basically training but you're not training as heavy and you're not training for as long so you're bringing your you know how long your session is down there are three ways that you can do it but again the way you do it will probably depend as to sort of how severe your symptoms are how you're feeling mentally because for some people as well taking that full time off is what they need whereas for some people that may actually throw them off more so it's very individual dependent and it's something that's this is why it's good to have someone like a coach in your corner um someone who can help you who can basically say you need this deload and this is how i think we should do it and if you ever were struggling and potentially thinking i might need a deload but you don't have a coach you can't afford one or it's not something you're interested in people like myself or other people will always offer their their knowledge and expertise to think whether you should take a deload and how to approach it so that's deloads um in six minutes Okay, the next question, how to stop tracking after a long period of time? Now, if you've tracked for a long period of time, you will know that it becomes a part of you. It's just something that you do the same way you get up and brush your teeth when it comes to making a meal, you track it. And it just becomes something you do. It becomes normal the same way other people don't because that's normal to them. And realistically, you know, should you stop tracking? I mean, there's nothing wrong with tracking as long as it's not leading you to be over-restrictive and leading to behaviors where it makes you anxious to not track if you can track and detach from it as well and it's not having any negative implications on your life there's not really a need to stop but if you are wanting to stop if you're thinking you know what no i don't i don't want to you know weighing out my food i just want to sort of be more relaxed about things then realistically the best way to go about it is the phased approach because tracking becomes ingrained in you it can become very difficult to just stop the same way when you first started tracking, it was very difficult to get into the routine of it, you know, remembering to do it, weighing out things, how to do it. It became, it was quite a difficult process, which you'll, you'll have got better at over the years. It's the same as this. It's something that you need to sort of decondition the same way you conditioned yourself. So the steps I would take, instead of just going stopping, because I think this will create loads of anxiety and stress because you're like, oh my God, I'm not tracking. First one is just to stop tracking certain items. If you're if you're quite meticulous, if you're someone who is literally pretty much tracking everything, stop tracking certain things that don't hold much caloric value. So things like milks in your coffee, things like um, veg, even fruit to an extent, stop tracking those things that don't hold as much caloric value and start from there. Because that will start to offset some anxiety about not tracking certain things and help get you into a mindset of not tracking, if that makes sense. Um, Number two is potentially have untracked meals or untracked days. Again, so it's just phasing you into this place of not tracking at all. So maybe have a day a week where you don't track anything. Um, If that's like a family day, so that's like a good day to do it or a meal a week that you don't track. And then again, just phase it from there. Just keep phasing it. So you're having more untracked meals or more untracked days than tracked and just slowly condition yourself into this. But what you should do as well is, and if you are tracking now and you don't really think, well, I don't want to stop. Or if you're someone who maybe is thinking about it, you should. I think everyone should have breaks. Everyone should have like an off-plan untracked meal a week. Everyone should have periods of time where they don't track and this will make it easier because you need to break the cycle of it. You can't. You shouldn't track everything all the time. There should be times where you can just put stuff on your plate and enjoy it because that's what it's about. So if you aren't already, if you're someone who's like, well, I've got, you know, you're not, this doesn't relate to you. You don't want to stop tracking. Make sure you do have times where you don't track just for that mental peace of mind because you need that break from it because you become adi- it can become quite addictive and obsessive and you don't want to get to that point where you you know you go out for a meal with a friend and the calories aren't on the website and you're freaking out. You don't want to be like that. You want to be able to have that more relaxed approach about it. Okay question three was what are the benefits of steps tracking and I think when I first got into fitness I didn't understand what, why do we track steps you know there's this thing about 10k steps a day but why is it important what, what is the, the benefit of steps basically steps is simply a way of measuring your needs which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis in the fun sciency word so basically tracking steps is just a way that we can um, objectively measure how I measure this and what neat is is basically how active you are with outside of you know programmed planned exercising so how much you move around in your day to day so yes we can all go to the gym for that one hour a day let's say let's give two people so say there's Karen and Sharon <laughs> Karen and Sharon both go to the gym for an hour a day they're both the same body weight and both on the same calorie so they're pretty much like identical Karen drops a pound and Sharon doesn't But Karen works in a job where she's always on her feet, she's always going for walks throughout the day when Sharon literally goes to the gym but the rest of the day sits in her bum. Karen will be putting herself in a bigger caloric deficit because by just moving around throughout the day, she's burning calories through doing that, if that makes sense. So STEPS is a way that we can basically track and assess and measure how active you are from day to day and make sure that you are consistently active day to day. And it's just a way of controlling this variable to stay on track for fat loss and stay on track for not basically being a potato because you want to keep moving you don't just want to be stationary throughout your days and it can be used to manipulate uh, the deficit so for example you can increase someone's steps if someone's highly doing any steps a day like a couple of thousand you could increase that to ten thousand, and this then means you don't have to give them loads of cardio or bring down their calories it's just a way of increasing energy expenditure so that's why we track steps basically um simple as that i don't think there's anything else to say about steps Number four, how to not worry about the scale weight when building up calories. Now this is one, I'd say it's more targeted at females but I guess to a degree males may experience it as well. When you do build up um, your calories and you start to reverse calories for whatever reason, whether that's you're on stupidly low calories and we're trying to build up your metabolic rate, whether that's you're in a gaining phase and you're wanting to build muscle or you're just wanting to put on body fat because you are crazy you know you, you've very got very low levels of body fat whatever the reason is the, the scale is going to go up it has to because by building up food and putting yourself into a surplus you are intaking more than your body needs and as a result you will be putting on weight and I think the way to go about things there's a few things I would suggest Number one, you probably may, if it's something that comes quite quickly, you will get quite sometimes quite a big, um, big sort of spike. Sometimes you might see that towards the start. And what you need to remember is this will be water because you are putting more glycogen into your body, more carbohydrates, which hold as water. And therefore, you may hold more water in there. Therefore, your scale might go up quite quickly. And that can throw you off. But you need to remember that you aren't putting on three pounds of fat in a week because you won't be. Um, You know, some of that will be water number so sort of my main tips really is one know why it's going up like I've said so know that it might be water know that you're building muscle as well and know that you can't build muscle if that's your goal without that scale weight going up because if that scale weight isn't going up are you putting on any lean muscle and the answer is no so know why it's going up it's going up for a purpose and know that that purpose is a positive purpose and zoning on that number two is to just zone into your goals if your goal is to is to build muscle or your goal is to just i'm sick of being on these low calories and i want to be able to be on higher calories and not on 1200 for the rest of your life whatever the reason is that has to stay at the forefront of your mind because if you want to achieve that goal you have to be in the surplus and you will have to see that scale way go up as a result you have to it's all part and parcel of the process. So just zone into your goal and know that what you're doing is a positive, and the scale weight going up is just a sign that things are moving in the right direction, and it is a positive. And again, linked to that is just to focus on the benefits. So th- there's so many benefits to increasing calories, such as do you look better? Are you feeling more full? Are you, is your strength going up? Are you not hungry and tired all the time? Focusing on the benefits of what you're doing. And if it is really getting to you to a point where, you know, it's throwing you off, you don't want to eat your meals, don't weigh yourself, guys. Don't do it. If it's throwing you off that much, I think for my one of my first gaining phases, I didn't weigh myself at all. I don't actually think I started consistently weighing myself till sort of um, maybe last year um, because I, I was just, it was getting to me. I, I couldn't get into the mindset of eating more calories because of the scale. So I just didn't weigh myself. I went on progress pictures and how things felt and went and measurements as well. So finally you know if you really really can't detach from it don't weigh yourself simple as that um number five question was how to avoid comparison online now self-comparison is something that we all do and we have all been guilty of and it really can bring you down because it can make you feel negative about your body it can make you feel negative about what you've achieved and it's just something that we all do but we all shouldn't do and I've become so much better now, I've I've implemented these four things and these four things help me to stop comparing myself in a negative way and just think, you know what, this is my journey, this is my progress, I'm only bothered about myself and I use comparisons for a positive. So these are the ways to, to stop this negative comparison online. So the first one is literally unfollow or delete anyone who makes you feel trash about yourself. So anyone who basically brings you down whether that's they're always posting pictures of themselves on the beach in their abs you know with the ferraris and it's just it makes you feel rubbish about what you have in your life and your own body if there's something like that and it's bringing no value to you just unfollow it or block it because ultimately if it doesn't bring you anything positive and only negatives through this this comparison process you don't need that in your life so just just get rid just literally unfollow it and that's the first thing i would do anything that doesn't bring you anything positive get rid Number two is to remember that this is your chapter one and their chapter eight. So if you're comparing your body to someone who's got more muscle than you or perhaps is stronger than you and you're like, oh my god, I wish I looked like that. Oh my god, I wish I could lift that. You don't know where they're at in their journey. They may be in lifting like, you know, five years more than you. They may have been on, you know, using performance enhancing drugs. They may have, you know, there's, there's so many things where they may be well, much more further ahead than you are and you can't then compare yourself to that because there's no means of comparison because if someone's been training five years longer than you, well, yes, they're going to hold more muscle and yes, they're probably going to be stronger. So always remember that, yes, that person might have what you want and it can be quite disheartening that you don't have that. But remember where you are and think, if I work hard, I could get to that. And just remember that you're chapter one and they're chapter eight and you're only at chapter one and you've still got seven chapters to go before you reach that. And that's something I always do. Number three is you can't compare what you see on social media. So the physical picture, the outside to your inside, you know, social media is just a highlight reel. So people post what they want to post. They post themselves in the best lighting. I mean, we're all guilty of it, right? We've taken five or six selfies and we picked the one where we look the best, where we look the leanest or we look like we've got the most muscle. We don't take the one where we don't look as great or if we don't look great in any of them, we don't post it. We don't post when... We've had a really stressful day at work and we look like trash. We post when we've had a really good workout and everything's shiny and happy and great. That's what we do. It's a highlight reel. And some people are quite open and honest on social media, don't get me wrong, but we don't post about those as much. You know, we mainly post the positives and therefore it becomes a highlight reel. So you can't compare, you know, how you're feeling on the inside to this highlight reel because it's only showing the positives, so it's it's not really a fair comparison. You know, if social media was literally black and white, everyone documenting every single thought and feeling... It'll be very different, but it's not. It's mainly the positives. It's the winning. It's the good workouts. It's the, I've got a puppy. It's all the nice, happy things. And number four is you can keep comparing yourself, but start to make healthy comparisons. So follow people who make you want to be better, people who inspire you, who make you do good things. So I follow a lot of business accounts, people who are where I want to be because they inspire me and motivate me and make me want to work harder. I follow people who who compete in figure because it makes me want to train hard it makes me want to lift hard and give everything i can to my sessions and i don't follow anyone who makes me feel rubbish about myself and so if some you know even things like charities follow things like charities things that make you want to be a better human so to start making healthy comparisons so we're still going to compare because it's a very natural human process but we're doing so in a way that is positive if that makes sense That was me turning the page because I have one more question and I didn't fit on to all of the pages. So the final question I got um, was why is there such a high prevalence of body dysmorphia in the fitness industry and sort of specifically bodybuilding? Um, So if you're not really sure what body dysmorphia is it's basically people seeing their bodies in a totally different way to what it is. So seeing themselves as really really big when they're actually really small and vice versa and it is a clinically you know diagnosed issue. It is a mental health issue and I think we, we're, to what we're talking about here is not necessarily to that degree but why people experience that symptoms of it and seeing their body in a different way because i think we all do in this sport and in the fitness industry so why why are we like this now i think one of the main reasons realistically is social media and again this this means of comparison because what we see on there is these unrealistic bodies you know you see the mass monster bodybuilders you see the gym shack athletes who are always lean always abs out this unrealistic body that we compare ourselves to are people who are you know pro athletes or people who you, you see these people with amazing physiques and then you know again with you know photog, you know all the photography setup all the lighting setup to make them look absolutely stunning and unreal in every single picture and then when you look at your body it's like well mine doesn't look like that and it can I think it can really sort of play with your head as to how you actually look because you you know you train you look good but when you see someone who looks like that It can make you feel that you're not good enough, that you aren't lean enough, that you don't hold enough muscle and therefore that you are someone who isn't lean enough and you don't hold muscle because those thoughts then become ingrained, if that makes sense. And I guess also because it is a journey of self-improvement, you know, with fitness and bodybuilding, you're always trying to better your physique and even if you do fitness, not necessarily to improve your physique fitness does improve your physique like realistically it does you know even if you're doing it for health reasons you'll slim down and you'll, you'll feel better about yourself and that can get ingrained in you that you're not good enough and that that you're you, you're not you're not lean enough because you're always on that journey to become something does that make sense it doesn't really make sense does it okay Okay, so I just had to articulate my thoughts because I just I had a total brain fog there. I think basically because it's a journey of self-improvement, we become overcritical. That's all I wanted to say. And when the bodybuilding as well, realistically, you are getting judged on your physique, you know, you are getting judged on how lean you are and how much muscle mass you have. So that overcritical can then make you think that you are that. So being critical of the fact that you might feel that you don't hold enough muscle might lead to the belief that you then aren't someone who holds much muscle if that makes sense. And I think there is overlap there, but it is a very, very complicated process and some people can detach themselves more than others. And why that is, I don't know. That's a that's an issue that's an issue to discuss another day if I do a bit more research into psychology. But I can do that for you if that's something you'd want to hear. But that is those six questions done. I hope this podcast has brought you some value, something you've learned, something new and if you like I've said please let me know what you want to hear who you want to hear and I'll get those lined up for you but for now over and out and I'll see you on the next one